All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Hey, New Tech City listeners, if you haven't listened to it yet, you should check out the Sporkful Food podcast. It's hosted by Dan Pashman, and he covers important topics like sandwich engineering and the ethics of office fridges. It's fun and funny, the Sporkful. It's not for foodies. It's for eaters. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or on the WNYC app. This is New Tech City from WNYC, where digital gets personal. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I have got some exciting but kind of nerve-wracking news, and I'm really curious to hear how you react. Okay, here goes. We are going to change the name of this podcast. New Tech City is going to have a new name. Listener feedback has had a lot to do with how we've evolved over the last year and a half or so since we first became a full-fledged podcast. And so I'm really hoping that you can help us come up with a name that feels like a perfect fit. I'll get into more specifics about why we're renaming and what we're looking for in a little bit. And I will also share with you some of the really stupid name ideas that I have had. Training for tomorrow, this very moment, the touchy side of tech. That's oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one that we had. The Thinking People's Tech Podcast. Just, just, just you know, just to be literal. very clear. Oh, here's another one. Raw data. It just reminds me of raw sewage. I don't, that's not going to work. First, though, this week's show. And I want to talk women and work. Specifically, how one company is doing three things in particular to try and improve the somewhat crappy situation for women in the tech industry. And actually, I think these three things are extremely useful for any working woman to know or anyone who employs women. So when I say what one company is doing, what I really mean is the company in tech, Google. Laszlo Bach is Google's head of HR, and this is him taking heat from PBS's Gwen Ifill last spring after Google released its terrible diversity statistics. Laszlo Bach, why publicize this now? Well, uh, Gwen, to be honest, we kind of felt we had to. Um, you know, we hadn't shared the information in the past because we were worried about how it would look and maybe people would think of Google differently. And we were worried about litigation. And what we, after much discussion, kind of realized was that we have an issue, our industry has an issue, and the only way to have an honest conversation about this is to start by actually sharing the facts. And here are those facts. In 2014, only 30% of all Google employees were women. Break the numbers down, only 21% in Google leadership were female, and in technical jobs, only 17%. And the numbers are even worse for African-Americans and Hispanics, and not just at Google, all over the tech industry. 
But hey, these are the people who solve the world's problems, right? Well, I got to sit down with Laszlo Bach for a long chat, and he says Google will be updating those diversity numbers very soon and that they've made some progress since that sheepish appearance on PBS. That was, that was off the record. That was <laughs> way off the record. And here's what I found so interesting. Laszlo explained three methods that Google is using. Okay, so the first method is something called unconscious bias training, showing people that even if they don't mean to, they do discriminate. Of the women who end up studying computer science, half of them leave the field because it's in general, as an industry, not real welcoming to women for a lot of reasons. So about two years ago, we developed this unconscious bias training program. And if any of your listeners are interested, it's it's public. It's on, uh, you can Google unconscious bias. Yeah, there's uh, a video, right? You can too? find it. Yeah. And we want to put out sort of kits for how to do this, but we waited until we could actually prove that it works. We put more than half the company through this. What we find is that after people go through it, 95% of people say, I get it. I realize I was biased. And if I see this stuff happening around me, I'm going to fix it. Are you thinking of something in your mind that like when you did it, you were like, yeah, I totally do this? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, all of us have had these moments. And what's funny is if you go to somebody and talk about diversity or talk about gender issues, the typical reaction is either, well, I don't have a problem or, well, I just disagree. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle who are kind of like, oh, my God, diversity training? Do I really have to spend time on this? Unfortunately, right? If you talk about we all have these biases, it completely short circuits that. And instead, people just go like, oh, yeah, I guess I do make these mistakes. And you see this beautiful sort of self-awareness come. And the secret is in this moment of hesitation where instead of just kind of thinking automatically, you pause and reflect. You know, the, the data is that... In any given moment, your brain's absorbing about 11 million bits of information, right? Visual and audio audio signals and sort of the feel of the chair you're on and your clothes. And you can process about 40 bits. So all the stuff gets screened out. Is is there – I'm just thinking like in the training, is it like there's a woman who has gray hair and you, I don't know, automatically don't see her because we know that women over 50 are kind of invisible in society. Like can – I want to like – Grasp onto something. Give me a, an example. So I'll give you a couple. So in the training, uh, eventually you get there in the training. It's about an hour-long video. It starts with things like, here's an optical illusion. Which of these lines looks longer? Surprise, they're the same length, right? Um, because we first need to establish that all of us have errors in our judgment and our, our sense of the world around us is actually flawed in very similar ways. Uh, but as a concrete example, we were in a promotion committee meeting. So all promotion decisions at Google are made by committee because we don't want managers to have that kind of power. A group of engineers was discussing whether this incredibly well-qualified woman should be promoted or not. And they started going down the path of, you know, well, but she really does back-end engineering, um, which is not the user-facing side, more technical infrastructure stuff. She hasn't had a lot of launches because she's been working on a lot of maintenance and things like that. Um, and it turns out women tend to do more of that because when I talk to Google Women Engineers, so we have a Google Women Engineers group, they've told me, you know, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? (laughs) And this is a classic kind of trap, right? And, you know, the men are off doing, you know, whatever and, you know, not attending to these important things. And so in the meeting, one of these engineers said, well, gentlemen, and let's remember we are all gentlemen in this room, we have a tendency to underweight the importance of just keeping things running and doing the maintenance and code health and things like that. And we should make sure we recognize that. And the woman was promoted. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say, hey, diversity matters. He didn't say, hey, we're systematically undervaluing this work that, by the way, women tend to do more than men. He just said, gentlemen, let's keep this in mind. And it was enough of a cue, given that these folks had gone through this, that it reminded them, okay, we're, we're probably all being a little biased here. 
putting Googlers through this unconscious bias training and then consistently reminding them of what they've learned. Things like, we also need to promote people who don't do the flashy show-offy projects. And those people also often happen to be women. Method number one makes a lot of sense to me. It shows that diversity doesn't have to be a blame game. Okay. Method number two. This tactic is called the nudge. Get ready to be poked, ladies. Another quirk of Google management is, in engineering, you nominate yourself for a promotion. Your manager can also nominate you, but we we allow you. which I mean immediately sends up red flags to me because, you know, women a lot of times feel very uncomfortable saying, I'm the best one, I'm the best candidate. Well, well, that's what we saw. And we saw that women were getting promoted in aggregate at a lower rate, but when they nominated themselves, they were promoted at a higher rate than men, right? So fewer women were nominating in percentage terms, but more of those who nominated themselves – got promoted. So we did a beautiful thing. Our, our head of engineering at the time, Alan Eustace, sent an email to the company and said, we've noticed that women don't nominate as much. And when they do get nominated, they get promoted at higher rates. Women, please nominate yourselves. And w- the women started nominating themselves at a higher rate. They got promoted and the difference completely went away. Uh, gone. Completely gone. It, it actually, the, the rates leveled out. And then we did that for about three, six-month periods. And then Alan forgot to send the email. And the rates for women drop back down. So women have to be nagged, basically? Is that, <laughs> is that the lesson? <laughs> well, I, I think just... we, we use the word nudged. 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 Because the idea is there's all these decisions we make throughout our lives and we just don't think about, right? So we try to design all these small things into the company that help people make better choices. And a reminder is an incredibly effective way of doing that. Because otherwise women, according to the research, will wait until they're absolutely certain to put themselves forward, whereas a lot of guys are pretty happy to put themselves up for a challenge or a promotion, even if they are nowhere ready. Okay, so give the nudge to the reluctant women around you. Apparently we need it. And now the third method for getting and keeping more ladies. You use data to understand why new moms weren't coming back after their maternity leave. What did you do? Like, how did you figure that out? And then did it change your policies or benefits? Yeah, well, this is one where we actually stumbled into it because it was kind of the right thing to do. And we were we we're fortunate to find the data supported us afterwards. So um, literally one day I was, I was just coming into work and thinking about, you know, maternity leave and moms and kids and so on. And our maternity leave at the time in California, uh, the requirement was 12 weeks of salary, 12 weeks of leave with salary. That's it. And that's the requirement. That's the requirement. But state law? State law. Wow. Um, New York should take a lesson from California on that one. I know it's, it's better than a lot of places, but worse than many, many places. Um, and it just seemed to me that that was too short. And the other thing that I'd remember. Are you a parent? I am. I am. And this was after I'd had a couple kids, but it just seemed too short. Um, there's a developmental difference between a three-month-old baby and an older baby. And what Googlers who had come back from maternity leave had told me was that I felt financial pressure. Because, yeah, I'm getting mm-hmm. my salary, but my stock is investing. I'm not getting my bonus. Mm-hmm. So I came into work and said we should have you know five months of leave with salary, bonus, and stock, and benefits, everything. And then a beautiful thing happened, which is women started taking the leave. They would use the later part of the leave to actually phase back into work. So when they came back into work, and not by policy, they would just say, well, you know, it's week 18, I'm going to come back 50% time. And they would phase back in and be happier and it would be easier adjustment. The financial pressure was gone. And women who had been leaving at twice the rate of men after leave before we made this change, 
started leaving at the same rate as men. The rate dropped by 50%. And what's wild is, on the face of it, you look at this and say, well, that's got to cost a lot of money. You know, well, an extra two months of leave, and we're going to pay all this extra money. And the reality is it saves us money. Hmm. Because it's much cheaper to do that than it is to replace somebody who's a high performer, even an average performer. It costs less to let a parent take more baby leave than to have to deal with finding a new employee. People procreate. Yeah, it's a bummer for bosses and companies, but it's vital to the human race, and it doesn't have to be a deal-breaker. Now listen, I get it. We don't all have the Google life, right? Maybe your HR person doesn't come across quite as reasonably as Laszlo Bach, and maybe your office doesn't have free snacks. Mine certainly doesn't. Which is why I wanted to ask Laszlo Bach this. I wonder if you could just give one word of advice or one thing someone can do if they don't have the pleasure of working at a place like Google where dry cleaning is done and there's delicious food all over the place and where, frankly, there's often animosity between the people who work somewhere and the HR department. There's very much this, like, you know, it's set up to sort of butt heads all the time. What is one thing a regular worker can do to make this a productive relationship? Well, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, I, there's there's a chapter where I talk about uh, becoming a founder, and it's actually how you think about yourself. Um, Amy Rosinski, a professor at Yale, did research on how people think about their work, and she found that about a third of people think of it as a way to make a buck, a third think of it as a way to climb the ladder and get ahead, a game to win, and a third find meaning in it. So the biggest thing you can do, and she found this to be true whether you're you're a housekeeper or a janitor or whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or what have you, so across all kinds of occupations. The biggest thing you can do is look at your work and find some meaning in it. Find some connection to something important. You know, if you're a plumber, you're not just like, you know, laying pipe. You're actually, you know, helping people be healthier. You're helping them get clean drinking water. You know, if you're an engineer, you're actually having some impact on the world. If, if you're in broadcast, you're bringing people information, knowledge, right? It's not just another day at a dumb job. And what we find at Google and at other companies is – if you can think of your work as having that meaning, that broader mission, that connection, you are actually happier and more productive. Laszlo Bach, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I think I learned a lot that I'm going to walk out the door and apply right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So all of us, don't just get through the day. Find meaning in your work, bigger meaning, no matter what. Because we all only get one turn at this big game, right? Make it count. As I mentioned, Google's diversity stats are going to be updated in the next few months. And I can't wait to see if the number of women there does indeed change, thanks to the tactics like the three you just heard. Unconscious bias training, the nudge, and babies don't have to be deal breakers. Good to remember the next time the issue of diversity comes up where you work. Okay, when we get back, I'm going to do some more explaining about why and how we want you to help us rename this podcast. And I'm going to share the stupid names I've already come up with, which will explain why I'm counting on you.
So my podcast pick for the week is The Sporkful, hosted by Dan Pashman. Dan and I recently tested out some disgusting-sounding recipes created by IBM's Watson. I also like the episodes where Dan goes on a quest, like to find the perfect ice cube or a donut that can mend a broken heart. The Sporkful Podcast. It's not for foodies. It's for eaters. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or on the WNYC app. Okay, we're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City. But should it be called something else? We want you to help us find a new name. We've been thinking about changing the name of our show for a while now, and I want to tell you why. So since our debut in late 2012, we've made a shift. This is New Tech City, WNYC's weekly look at how technology is changing the way New Yorkers live. I'm Anoush Samarodi. We started out as a short little news update on New York City's growing tech scene. And then, because of the good feedback, thank you, we grew into a real podcast. And we shifted from local businessy news to a broader discussion about living in the digital age. We have talked about what to do if your Facebook friends get all racist in your feed. You've come along with me as I got a low-tech efficiency makeover from Toyota. And when I tried to figure out what reading on a screen is really doing to our brains. And of course, we've talked a lot about what we can do to think more deeply when we all feel so damn busy. Our brains, relationships, and values are changing at a pace never seen before in human history. There is so much information coming at us constantly. We want this podcast to be a place where we can stop and figure out ways to live and think better. So what's a name that fits this mission? I'm asking you because of a recent tipping point, that project called Bored and Brilliant that thousands of you did with me a few months ago. We experimented with ways to put down our phones and jumpstart our creativity. And you told us what worked and what didn't work. And you also gave me hundreds of ideas for future shows. So I'm guessing you might have some great ideas for a new name. Some of the terrible names that the team and I have come up with include The Non-Techie Techie, Digital Karma, and Future Woman. Yeah, it's bad. We really need your help. Oh, here's a good one. Don't Fear the Future. Ah, See, I don't want to fear the future. Yeah, but that's – there's nothing – what if you don't? Then you're like, okay, so I'm not going to listen to that. Um, Your Tech Sherpa. Uh-huh. We're getting metaphorical there. Yep. Not Code to live by. That. Oh, God. Your digital soul. Yeah. That's a good one. Shows that have great names, ones that I personally love, are Death, Sex, and Money. Yeah, because my colleague, Anna Sale, here at WNYC, she talks about death, sex, and money. I also love show names like Happier and How to Do Everything. You know what you're getting when you hear the name. So email us your awesome new name ideas at newtechcity at wnyc.org. Or you can go to newtechcity.org where we have a special page where we're making this happen. It's got more information and also a questionnaire. We will be unveiling the new name in a very unusual place. And the stakes are kind of high, which is also why we want you in on it. Thanks so much for giving us your time every week. I don't take that lightly or for granted. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and for now, this is New Tech City from WNYC. 
Here are some really crazy ones. Blue light special. That's, yeah, that's for all good. the Gen Xers out there <laughs> who remember going to Kmart with their parents for gardening supplies. Or just wanted to discount at lunch. Choosing tomorrow. It's like yachting. It's like... Because today sucks. Aldous Huxley. I don't know. What that was you yours? Oh, sh**. I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. No, but that's Oh, that what... was Andrew's. Oh. oh.